All right, so Matt, I've had a lot of free time here lately. So I got on Amazon and I ended up ordering an egg and a chicken. So uh, I'll let you know. and welcome to the graveyard thank you for joining us tonight my name is adam and my name's matt now pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is graveyard tales (laughs) all right everybody here we are again matt how you doing tonight brother good it's uh it's graveyard tales quarantine edition no joke <laughs> it's uh I, some of y'all have probably seen my uh, boredom videos that i have been putting up on social media yeah um, i like the cardinal seed one. that was, that was good <laughs> well they sprouted so i'm hoping that pretty soon i'll have some birds I'm i'm trying to grow my own poultry because it's hard to find in the stores so yeah, Amanda the other night said, see, I told you we should have got some chickens. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, knowing Amanda, I mean, though, she wouldn't be able to, like, uh, kill it to eat it. It would just yeah, be her pet. I don't know. She hates chickens, man. She oh, hates yeah. Chicken, chicken feet. Yeah. Oh, chicken feet just gross her out. Even when they're still on the chicken, they gross her <laughs> out. <laughs> <laughs> Poor chickens. <laughs> So, real quick, tonight we wanted to thank our sponsor for this episode, Best Fiends. Um, We will talk about them here in a little bit. Um, We wanted to let you guys know that unless things change, and and hopefully they don't, um, we have a live show July 18th in Pigeon Forge. Um, Hopefully, we're all clear and all is good by July. Um, So, if, if you're planning on coming then we'll see you there. If you've thought about it and haven't pulled the trigger yet, get on our website at graveyardpodcast.com. There's a link to buy tickets. You can get the tickets and join us in Pigeon Forge. Yeah, it's going to be a good time. So y'all come out if if we can. Right. <laughs> um, another thing this uh, spare time has given given us is the ability to start setting up our YouTube channel. Um, so we're trying to get our YouTube channel going by the time this episode comes out, hopefully there is an episode or two up on there, but we're not video editors, neither one of us. So bear with us. Um, and we're, we're getting them up there as much as we can. The back catalog probably won't be up for quite a while, but we'll try to get all the new episodes as we go forth up on there. And that way, if you're a YouTube listener, you can listen to us on YouTube or you can more easily share it because a lot of people know YouTube and probably not as many know podcasting or podcast apps. So it'll be yeah. easier for you guys to share. And uh, and we should tell everybody that this is uh, this is just the audio of the show on YouTube. <laughs> right, right, um, right. We're we're not quite at a point where we can do. We, we can submit the video of of Adam and I actually recording. We're 
we're considering that. Um, but you know, we when we started this whole gig, we we didn't edit much. Yeah. <laughs> We edit a lot more now because <laughs> we've kind of learned how to do things over the course of the last, you know, almost three years. Yeah, right. So, so uh, Adam has gotten more savvy and this edits a lot more. So there's there's a lot more that goes on that we cut out that <laughs> may not be appropriate. <laughs> right. <laughs> Even for so YouTube. We'd have to... Uh, We'd have to police ourselves so much more, and uh, that that would that would pose a problem. But we and we I would have, have to learn considered it. video editing too. You yeah, know? that's exactly right. But but just just know, um, you know, this is this is a step forward. We we've heard all of your requests, and they are still on the table. Uh, we're just not there yet. Right, right. <laughs> and as as you guys know, historically, we have tried to accommodate as many of the requests as possible um, to, to make it a better experience for you guys. So we're still working on it, still trying to do it. But like Matt yeah. said, we're not there yet, but we're hoping to get there. Yeah, you few people that have that uh, all nude uh, 2018 calendar, you know. Yeah, y'all are the lucky ones. <laughs> <laughs> or the unlucky ones. I don't know very, which. Very tastefully done. Oh, yeah. Everything we do is tasteful, Matt. Um, we also wanted to thank John from 12 Stitch Blades. Um, he sent us two amazing knives that have my name on it, Matt's name on it, and they're handmade amazing knives and he wanted to pass along to all graveyard listeners a code so that if you guys wanted to order hand forged knives then you could do that and get 15 percent off the code is graveyard one word all lowercase and you go to 12 stitchblades.com the number 12 stitchblades.com and put in that promo code and you can get 15% off just for being a graveyard tales listener and they are amazing yeah man we we have got some super talented folks no in the joke. graveyard and john is definitely one of those people and w i was i was just amazed i was like holy cow i was yeah <laughs> you know somebody tells me they're gonna make a handmade knife you know i have i have expectations and these knives just blew me away. So, uh, so yeah, y'all, y'all go check him out. Um, you know, really, really good work, man. I mean, just, just amazing. Yep. I will put the link to his website in our show notes. It's 12 stitchblades.com. Um, go check him out. Tell him that we sent you. Um, so Matt, before we get into it tonight, we haven't done this in a little while, but why don't we take a quick potty break and then we'll get right back to it. All right. Ted Bundy murdered my dad's friend's sister in 1974 while on his reign of terror in Utah. At least, Bundy admitted to killing her just before his execution, but police were never able to locate her body. That's the topic of just one episode on Straight Up Enigmas, a podcast to explore the unexplained. Spine-tingling supernatural stories, historical mysteries, and true criminal cases are all things to expect when you tune in to our show. We discuss the mysterious deaths of the Jameson family, 
share terrifying true stories from real people about sleep paralysis, and explore Cleopatra's missing tomb. I'm Jaden McKell, and I'm the host of Straight Up Enigmas. Our bite-sized, bi-weekly episodes focus on the world's strangest mysteries, sacred and sonic geometry, the murder of Karen Silkwood, Turkmenistan's door to hell, the curse of the omen, and much more. Listen and subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you find podcasts. All right, Matt, now that we're back from the potty break, why don't you tell us what are we talking about tonight, brother? Okay, so on this show, Adam and I just, it seems like every month we've got some place that says they're the most haunted whatever. Right. The most haunted in Ireland, uh, the most haunted bridge in Texas, or, you know, I've, I've got the most haunted swimming pool in my backyard. Yeah, the most haunted bathroom in the state of Texas. Yeah, that's right. I mean, nothing goes on in my swimming pool, but I dare you to find a swimming pool in my backyard that's more haunted than mine. <laughs> so, right. But this place lives up to the reputation, and it just may be the most haunted town in America, and that is Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Oh, yeah. And we've teased to this place for quite some time now. We, we kept saying, yeah, we're going to do it. Yeah, we're going to do it. And we finally, Matt and I decided to do it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we've talked about Gettysburg before, just briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, but just the the amount of places that have some type of haunted history is astounding. I mean, it is unbelievable. In fact, tonight before I came out, I, I told Amanda, I said, we need to go to Gettysburg. I know we've had, uh, we've had some listeners that have been, um, and, uh, and have, and have shared photographs of their trip. Yeah. I mean, this place, if, if you really just want to have a haunted vacation, go there. I no mean, kidding. you're going to have something new to go do or tour or whatever every day. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> there's so many. There's no way that you could just, yeah, we're going to go do, we're going to go see the, the this, or we're going to stay in this haunted hotel. You could stay in a different haunted hotel every night. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty cool, but there's a reason for this. And I think everybody knows, at least everybody in the U.S. knows, you know, that Gettysburg was the site of the the bloodiest fighting during the American Civil War. Right. And we've talked about how negative how how much of a negative impact war and death uh leaves on an area and this much has really left a mark on Gettysburg. So in order to be able to talk about the haunted history of Gettysburg, we we've got to learn a little bit about the real history of Gettysburg. So Adam Adam's going to take us into the history. All right. So like Matt said, this was a very bloody and just wild battle, and it was only three days. 
You know, we we hear a lot of these battles and these wars that take forever. This was three days, Matt. That that's shocking to me. I don't remember learning that yeah. specifically in school that it was only three days. Yeah, it it seems like that was brushed over in school because the the memories I have myself, like you, are we we talked about you know the the bloodshed and how many people died and and all this, but in my recollection it feels like it was much longer. Yeah. Like it was months. But yeah, exactly. this was three days, July 1st through July 3rd. And we'll get into all that. But there was a great summation of the war on battlefields.org. So I thought I would just use this version as a quick intro into what happened at Gettysburg. Um, and as always, in our show notes down at the bottom is the sources. So you can go to the sources and find out way more than we're able to cover in this episode because um, matt and i could probably do a four-part series on could, just the battle of gettysburg could, but we could do a whole a whole show we yeah. could have a like a, a whole separate show right podcast on this right um so if if you're interested in diving deeper go down and check out our sources where we got all this information from and it just it, it it's expansive amounts of knowledge in those sources. Um, but it says in the summer of 1863, Confederate General Robert E. Lee launched his second invasion of the northern states. Lee sought to capitalize on recent Confederate victories and defeat the Union Army on northern soil, which he hoped would force the Lincoln administration to negotiate for peace. Lee also sought to take the war out of the ravaged Virginia farmland and gather supplies for his army of northern Virginia. Using the Shenandoah Valley as cover as he moved north on June 3rd, Lee was pursued first by Union Major General Joseph Hooker and then Major General George G. Meade, who replaced Hooker. Lee's army crossed into Pennsylvania mid-June and by June 28th had reached the Susquehanna River. Good job! Thank you. <laughs> I don't know if you pronounced it right. It but, sounded good, though. But you, but you played it well. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the opposing forces collided at the crossroads town of Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, on the morning of July 1st. In severe fighting, the Confederates swept the Federals from the fields west and north of town, but were unable to secure Cemetery Hill and Culp's Hill to the south. The following day, as reinforcements arrived on both sides, Lee attacked the Federals along their line, but failed to dislodge the defenders. On July 3rd, Lee attacked the Union Center on Cemetery Ridge and was repulsed with heavy losses in what is now known as Pickett's Charge. Lee's second invasion of the North had failed and had resulted in an estimated 51,000 casualties and possibly more, we'll talk about that, on both sides, the bloodiest single battle of the entire war. And that was uh, a quote from American Battlefield Trust. 51,000. Yeah, deaths. on the low end, 51,000. Yeah. I mean, that is, that's insane. Yeah, in three days. I mean, yeah. I just, it's hard to wrap my head around, you know, how many people died in such a short amount of time. Yeah. It's I mean, incredible. I mean, you. I don't. I don't have the numbers, but you. You got to think about what the population was at that time, north and south, 
and you're going to take out 51,000 of them? Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, and that's just one battle over three days. I mean, we know that so many more died during the Civil War. Oh, yeah. Civil War went on for a long time. Yeah. But I mean, you know, to think about a chunk of the population dying in three days, I mean, it's just, it just floors me. I'm honestly, oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> it's crazy. It is. Now, you ask, why, why was Gettysburg such a significant battle for the Civil War? Well, the Battle of Gettysburg, which was fought July 1st through 3rd of 1863, was the turning point of the Civil War for one main reason. Robert E. Lee's plan to invade the North and force an immediate end to the war failed. What Lee had hoped to do was cross the Potomac River from Virginia, pass through the border state of Maryland, and begin waging an offensive war on Union soil in Pennsylvania. After gathering food and much-needed clothing in the prosperous region of southern Pennsylvania, Lee could threaten cities such as Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, or Baltimore, Maryland. If the proper circumstances had presented themselves, Lee's army could have seized the greatest prize of all, Washington, D.C. So that was his goal, was to take over Washington, D.C. Yeah, just imagine if that had happened. Mm Mm-hmm. All y'all would be talking a lot more like us. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, had the plan succeeded to its greatest extent, Lee's army of Northern Virginia might have surrounded or even conquered the nation's capital. The federal government could have been disabled, and high government officials, including President Lincoln, might have been captured. Now, the United States would have been forced to accept peace with the Confederate States of America, and the existence of a slaveholding nation in North America would have been made permanent for a while. Now, the battle between these two armies put an end to this plan. No major Confederate invasion of the North would be mounted after this point, and the war would continue for nearly two more years. But after Gettysburg, it would be fought only on southern ground. So we're going to talk about these three days, but the two more years after this battle that the Civil War went on. So it was a long war, but this mm-hmm. this is the bloodiest battle. Three days worth, more lives were shed during this than any other battle in this two years, three years. Yep. There were a lot of soldiers involved, both for the Union Army and the Confederate Army. Now, the Union Army had 82,289 soldiers. The Confederate army had 75,000. So like we said, this is the bloodiest battle fought on American soil. Now, these are the soldiers that were killed or died from injury later. There was 23,049 Union soldiers that died and 28,063 Confederate soldiers. So Hmm. it was split fairly evenly between the Union and Confederate deaths. I thought you were about to start Reading off the names, you know, in and, in, in memoriam. Yeah, well, again, that would have to be its own podcast. We're, we're going to be here. We're going to be here a yeah. while. Be here a long <laughs> while. Settle in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there was an estimated 569 tons of ammunition that was fired during these three days. Yeah. So 569 tons of musket balls and everything else that flew from these these battles, yeah, and they didn't have any they didn't have any big uh, 
manufacturing plants just pumping these things out. I mean, no, and these weren't took, machine took, guns either. Right. It took some time to to make this ammunition. Mm-hmm. You know, and to load and fire this ammunition. Oh, yeah, that's right. It wasn't it wasn't exactly quick either. Well, drop it in. Then you got to pound it in there and tamp it down and then put your ball in there. And then, hey, 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 I missed. Don't move. You stay right there. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, Give me five just, minutes. Yeah, I'll load I gotta, this again. I got to reload. You know, <laughs> I, I, imagine, I imagine the most deadly people in that war were the ones that could load, reload fastest. Oh, for sure. <laughs> for mean, sure. You know, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you're like, bam. All right. Yeah, you need like a, a you need a rifleman and then his assistant behind him and two rifles. So while yeah. I'm firing one, you're loading the other one and you just hand it to me and I'll take over. But they didn't have the, you know, troops or guns for that. Yeah. Now we got to talk about the conditions during the Battle of Gettysburg and the entire Civil War to kind of understand the plight of these soldiers. Now, the soldiers on both sides were dressed in heavy wool uniforms that had many, many layers. So you're not talking these, you know, Kevlar vests or anything. These are wool uniforms. And and this is July in, yeah. in, in the middle of the United States. It's hot. It's humid. And it, it's not fun. And you're wearing wool. You're wearing a couple wool. layers of wool. Yeah, because you got on a wool shirt and wool pants and... A wool coat. Wool underwear. Yep. Now, the weather during this time, Reverend Dr. Michael Jacobs, uh, he was a math and science professor at Pennsylvania College, which is now Gettysburg College, recorded the temperature three times a day during the battle. Now, 7 a.m., 2 p.m., and 9 p.m., on July 1st, the temperature at 2 p.m. was 76 degrees and it was cloudy. At 2 p.m. July 2nd, it was 81 and partly cloudy. And it was 87 degrees at 2 p.m. July 3rd, which is the time of the picket's charge that we talked about. Um, Lee's retreat from Gettysburg on July 4th was hampered by rain, mud, and swollen creeks. Like I said, it, it's 87, almost 90 degrees. It's humid because it's raining and overcast, so these guys are in miserable conditions. Yeah, for the people that didn't get shot, they were dying of heat stroke. No kidding. No kidding. It was bad. I mean, hey, it was 80-something degrees here today, and I was in shorts out in the backyard, and I was sweating. Yeah. So yeah. I, I could not imagine being out in wool. It reminds me of being in marching band in high school. We had the full, like, wool uniforms that we had to wear and i'm lugging around a sousaphone in in the summer uh, football season in texas it was bad you didn't wear no wool uniform yeah we did wool yep in the I'll marching find, band i will find pictures of it we were old school oh my god if any of my uh fellow band nerds are listening and it wasn't wool feel free to correct me but they were <laughs> they were hot they were thick and they were hot well, I mean, our our oldest weren't a whole lot better because it was like they look like they would they take their their jackets off. It's like they're wearing polyester waders. You know? Yes. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. 
I, I wasn't I wasn't in the band. Uh, I never up I never got the to wear anything and, like that. Yeah. Well, you were missing out, Matt. That was that was the way to go. That was what all us cool kids did. I had to I had to wear a helmet when it was that hot. So. Yeah. <laughs> it was it wasn't it, it wasn't a, a walk in the park either. <laughs> <laughs> well, according to the National Institutes of Health and the National Library of Medicine, the American Civil War represents a landmark in military and medical history as the last large-scale conflict fought without knowledge of the germ theory of disease. So as, as we know now, we understand hygiene and, and the theory of disease. And, and Matt, you can speak probably to this more than I can, but this was the last battle or the, the last war, the Civil War was the last war that was fought before we understood germ theory. Right. And, you know, you you could get shot or stabbed or cut um, and survive. But there was a really good chance that you were going to die from an infection mm-hmm. if you didn't get immediate medical attention. And even then. You might still die from an you infection. Might die because, from the medical attention. Yeah, because the surgeons didn't understand it either, and you know that, that's why so many so many soldiers lost limbs because you get shot in the leg. You know that they can dig the bullet out, but you know now now you've got this open wound that's you know there's no antiseptic. Right. You know it, they, it ends up gangrenous. Yeah. So I mean. You know, nine times out of ten, they just took your leg off because it's all mm-hmm. they knew how to stop it. Right. So, yeah, I mean, you know, that is a it, it's a bad deal. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, all the way around. I mean, you know, it's bad enough that you're out here fighting this war against your own countrymen. You know, but the the fact is, is you 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 could have potentially come through the battle barely scratched and still die. Right. Right. Now, more people ended up, it was almost, I'll, I'll give you the numbers, but um, more people died due to hygiene issues than bullet wounds. I mean, it was probably bullet wounds that got them to that point of needing hygiene issues, but there was a ton of yeah. deaths just due to poor hygiene. Yeah. Um, unsound hygiene, dietary deficiencies, and battle wounds set the stage for epidemic infection. Now, while inadequate information about disease causation greatly hampered disease prevention, diagnosis, and treatment. So pneumonia, typhoid, diarrhea, and dysentery, and ma- malaria were the predominant illnesses. And we'll kind of go over those again here in a minute. Um Now, altogether, two-thirds of the approximately 660 deaths of soldiers were caused by uncontrolled infectious diseases, and epidemics played a major role in halting several major campaigns. So these delays coming at a crucial point early in the war that prolonged the fighting by as much as two years. So these people were getting sick in their encampments, and were unable to wage war, so they they just said time out. You know we got uh, we got diseases here, so let, let's put this fighting on hold for a little while. And <laughs> yeah. 
you know, then they would get over it and then they would go fight the war. But, you know, it's that uh, unhygienic people and then they weren't being fed well. They right. didn't have the proper food to keep themselves healthy. Yeah. And yeah, I remember I, I, I had that. I had the T-shirt. Wasn't that long ago. I had the Oregon Trail. You, you, you've died of dysentery. Yep. <laughs> I wish I could find that. I'm, I'm, yeah. I may, I may, I may still be able to fit in it now <laughs> if I could find it. But yeah, I mean that happened. I mean it, it, it was, it's a joke to us because of a video game, but it was r- the real deal then. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, if you if you got diarrhea, I mean, there was no emodium. Hell, there was barely anything to wipe with. Right. You know, and hell, there's barely anything to wipe with now, man. <laughs> Oh, it's Oregon Trail all over again. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but I mean, yeah, I mean, there was a really good chance you were going to die from that. Like, yeah. Oh my god! And the water, you know, uh, and not what you know. You're thinking, well, okay, we're getting a history lesson again. Well, yeah, because you kind of got to understand what was going on and and how it impacted, you know, not just those people, but you know the the land the earth i mean mm-hmm. all the all of this energy that comes with this kind of event right you know it it goes so much further than just the you know the the horror the horror of war i mean oh, yeah. the horrors never stopped you know so all of that stuff plays into the the land holding on to it right and and absolutely and pushing out this negative energy um that a- allows us to be able to talk about how haunted gettysburg is right and man it's like i've told a lot of people graveyard tales is half history half spooky and half comedy so <laughs> you're you're going to get all of that when you listen to a Graveyard Tales episode. You get three halves. Three halves. <laughs> three halves make a hole, right? Some kind of hole. <laughs> Family show, Matt. Don't be getting into that. So this comes from a paper, Battle of Gettysburg and Disease and Medicine by Amelia Payton and Haley Royalty. And I thought this was a cool little bit of information about the diseases and the medicines that they had during this time. Now, smallpox was big still, and it was caused by an infection with the variola virus. Um, scurvy was rampant, especially in these camps because of insufficient intake of vitamin C. So just like on pirate ships, they talk about, yeah. oh, he's got the scurvy. Well, during... Uh, the Civil War, they got the scurvy too. Yeah. Because they don't eat the oranges. They ran out of oranges. Yep. Um, typhoid fever was really big at that time, and that was caused by consumption of food or water that was contaminated by salmonella bacteria. Malaria was a big thing during the Civil War, and that was spread through camps located next to stagnant swamps that had the mosquitoes in it. And, I mean... It, it, middle of 
July or the beginning right. of July there, you're going to have mosquitoes and, and stagnant swamps. And at the time, a simple cold often developed into mo- to pneumonia. Um, that was the third most dangerous and common disease after typhoid and dysentery. So you can get a cold and then end up with pneumonia and then end up dying because they didn't have a way to fight it. How did how the hell did people live to be in their 30s? I don't know, man. I mean, they were they were tough boogers. That's all I can say. Yeah. I mean, you know, they had some kind of magic, you know, to be able to go. Yeah, well, I, I beat pneumonia. I got shot in the leg and I lived to be 65. I'm like. I had malaria twice, scurvy once, and <laughs> smallpox four times, but I'm 35 years old. You're some kind of superhuman if you've managed to do that with virtually no antibiotics or anything. Yeah. I get a cold now, and I cry for two days. <laughs> and then yeah. you all have to hear about it on the show when I get it, so. <laughs> I mean, you know, we... You, you, the funny thing about it is this was not that long ago. I mean, no. When you when you think about you know the world, this was really not that long ago. I mean, the yeah, the advances in medicine have really come, you know, w- within the last, you know, 100 you know, a little more years. Yeah. And you know where where people understood, oh hey, you know what we can we can fix this, you know right. Probably but, need to wash our hands. Yeah, <laughs> it's as true today as it was then. <laughs> right, we're relearning that all over again now. <laughs> wash your hands, people. That's right. Wash your hands. Tomorrow we'll be doing shapes and colors. <laughs> right. <laughs> So we got to talk about some of the medicines that they had at the time because they don't they didn't have the cool antibiotics that we we have now. Um, They had a thing called Dover's powder and Dover's powder was a mixture of Ipecac and opium and opium was used often by doctors at the time and was a very substantial breakthrough in medicine because it cured many diseases like dysentery, pneumonia and bronchitis or it just made you not give a damn about having That's them. right. Yeah, that's right. Cherry, they should have had cherry-flavored Ipecac. Oh, yeah. Tastes as good cherry going down as opium. It, yeah, it tastes as good going down as it does coming up. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, you know, at the time, and, and this is semi-tangent, semi-on-topic uh, on here, at the time and before, a lot of doctors felt that the way to cure you was to give you something that would either make you poop yourself blind or throw up because they felt you were getting rid of whatever was in your body that was causing you to be sick. So you go to the doctor and he's like, oh, you're throwing up? Well, here, let me give you a medicine to make you poop yourself blind and that will (laughs) fix it. We'll get it going out the other end. We'll get it going both ways. Yeah. I mean, if you can cleanse yourself that way, you got to be good, right? Right, yeah. No. So, no, no. So a lot of medicines were, were to make you do that, which was yeah. just weird to me. I don't, I, I don't like that. Yeah. If I en- went to a doctor and that happened, I would quit going to that doctor. Yeah. You'll enjoy our next show on dehydration. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
hey matt can we take a quick break and let's play best fiends i gotta finish this level that i'm on i've got to kill like one more slug and then i'll be done. no we can't but oh we can talk about it perfect best fiends is a downloadable game full of challenging puzzles it's a casual game that anybody can play but it's made for adults and you can spend as much or as little time as you'd like in the game you can discuss your your progress with your friends you can share it online um i am still stuck somewhere in the 60s adam how far have you gotten now uh 360 or something oh, like that man I- I'm way up there. I think Amanda is close to a thousand <laughs> now, as far oh, as you know, on on her levels. But but Best Fiends is my go-to palate cleanser, so to speak. Or just I need a little bit of a break. You know, I need something to maybe occupy my time uh, when when work or whatever has gotten too much. And it's casual. You can sit down and enjoy as much time as you need. And the colors are bright, and the characters are cute and funny, and you can use them to solve the puzzles and defeat the evil slugs. And like Matt was saying, with Sharon, the progress, we have a post in our Facebook group where everybody was sharing their friends' code. So we've gotten friends from our Facebook group on our Best Fiends game, and you're able to share not only your progress, but you can share little gifts back and forth to each other, which is really cool. In case you're running low on energy, you can, you know, borrow some from a friend, basically. Um, And Best Fiends updates the game monthly with new levels and events, so it never really gets old. I mean, you can look at it this month, and it's one layout, and then next month it's going to be something totally different because Best Fiends treats their game like a service for their players and it doesn't require internet so like matt was saying if you need a break doesn't matter where you're at you can have no internet you can have the fastest internet in the world it doesn't matter because you can still play these levels it doesn't require any wi-fi access and that's one of the best features no joke and you collect a ton of different characters that matt was talking about that all these really cool characters and you have to choose them kind of strategically because they each have a different power or skill set for the level so you got to strategically pick which ones you want to use now you engage your brain with these fun puzzles you collect tons of these cute characters like we were talking and trust me with over a hundred million downloads this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must play no joke now download best fiends free on the apple app store or google play that's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Yeah, you can go and download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiend. So another medicine that they had at the time was quinine. And they used quinine to treat common deadly diseases like malaria. I mean... If that's all you got, take a little bit of quinine. Yeah, you know. Well, It'll fix not? you right up. Quinine's still around. I mean, you know. Oh, yeah. Drink a little drink a little tonic water, and uh, mm-hmm. it'll fix you right up. Yeah, it, it fixes an uh, upset tummy. Yeah. It's good so for, another good one, for muscle cramps and all kinds of yeah, stuff. Yeah, right. An- another one they had was calomel, and uh, this was used in treatment of dysentery, 
and was a powdered medication that contained mercury. Now, doctors often carried it around in little paper pouches. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you're taking powdered mercury. Didn't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, it may have cured one thing, but it probably caused a lot worse right. issues. <laughs> yes, it did. And probably one of the most effective for making you not really care about what was happening was alcohol, which was another form of medication, um, usually in the form of whiskey. Um, it was also used as a pain relieving medication. Like if you went in for surgery, they gave you butt loads of whiskey and said, here, we're going to cut on you now. <laughs> well, you know, that's what you do. Yep. <laughs> You're going to so, bleed a lot, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But if they do it quick, it'll be fine. Yeah, you know. that's right. Now, we got to talk about the hospitals at the time because there were a lot of hospitals around due to the war. And uh, at the onset of the war, makeshift camps and hospitals were set up to treat the injured. And these hospitals were generally warehouses, churches, barns, and other buildings that were confiscated for this purpose. And Matt will talk about the long-term effects that these had here in a little bit. Um, But they were often not large enough or equipped for meeting the needs of the injured. In addition, these camps and hastily created hospitals were often disorganized and chaotic. Now, as the war continued, the use of these centers and hospitals changed, and they actually started to become more organized. So field stations, which were located near battles, were the first stop for the injured. Now, here, the wounded soldiers received some form of help for the pain, like we said, usually whiskey. Um, In addition, this is where any initial bandaging took place. Um, Soldiers who required more intervention were taken to field hospitals, and these hospitals developed a system of triage in which soldiers were divided by need. So the three categories of need were those who were in need of surgery, injuries that were of a mortal nature, and injured soldiers who did not require surgery and were not mortally wounded. So you had, you're going to be okay if we don't screw you up. (laughs) You're not going to be okay no matter what we do. And, oh, man, we got to hack something off. Those were your (laughs) three stages. That was your triage. Yeah. Um, There were soldiers that uh, needed more or longer care, and they were sent to larger general hospitals, which were set up in some of the bigger cities. So if they couldn't fix you there or, you know, they'd patch you up, then they'd send you on to these bigger hospitals. Right. Now, how did you get to the bigger hospitals? Well, the transportation of the injured and ill soldiers went through a lot of changes during the Civil War. The beginning of an organized ambulance corps was developed to cart soldiers to hospitals. Hospital trains were also commonly used to carry soldiers to general hospitals. Now, these could transport large numbers of injured people at one time, which made good use of the train system. And steamers, known as sanitary steamers, were also used to carry soldiers to hospitals for care. So they'd load you up on a train, smack Mm -hmm. the back of that train and say, giddy up and take them (laughs) on to hospitals. Well, God, I I can't even imagine what that would have been like. Oh, yeah. You're laying in a boxcar with, you know, a hundred other wounded, mortally wounded soldiers sending you off probably a day's ride somewhere yeah 
I guess it was better than a horse and buggy. Yep, that's true. It's quicker. Covered wagons. <laughs> yeah. Now, we got to talk sanitation because we touched on it a little bit ago. Um, and like I said, although hospitals underwent some advancements, sanitation continued to be a problem, particularly in field dressing stations. Um, doctors didn't have the concept of germs and bacteria or how infections spread. So surgeons often tended one patient after another without the use of gloves or properly cleansing their hands or the equipment they were using. Sterilization of instruments didn't occur at all. When instruments were actually wiped off, it was often with soiled surgical aprons, soiled claws, or even the surgeon's dirty bootstraps. Yeah, so if you're not? getting cut on, he's just wiping it off. If you're lucky enough for him to wipe it off, he might just go from cutting one person to come and cutting you with the same thing. Yeah, that's right. Now, this is a little gross. Thick and creamy pus, which was referred to as laudable pus from wounds, was mistaken as a good sign of healing and was not recognized as a sign of infection. It, along with blood and other bodily fluids, could be found on surgical aprons, bedding, and even the floors. Soldiers who received care often remained in their filthy uniforms while in field hospitals and after the treatment. Now, in terms of healing, poor sanitation often led to infection, which was a significant hurdle for injured soldiers at the time. In addition to infection, the poor sanitation was also commonly the cause of disease among the troops. You should have taken that bottle of whiskey that they were making that guy drink and pour it on his wound. <laughs> right. That would have at least done would something. Been, would have been better. <laughs> All right. Just a little bit more harshness here for you from the Civil War era, and then we'll get on to some of the more fun stuff. But if you're a history nerd like I am, you're having fun. This is fun. So, we got to talk anesthesia. Well, in 1846, the first record of using anesthesia was made just 15 years before the Civil War. Anesthesia was used as much as 90% of the time during surgeries, such as amputations. The two most common types of anesthesia were chloroform and ether. Does this rag smell like chloroform to you? Yep. <laughs> Wake up and your leg's gone. Chloroform was used roughly 75% of the time during Civil War surgeries. It was often given to the patients by applying it to a cloth and draping it over their nose and mouth until unconscious. So, yeah, just like that joke. Here, let me lay this rag over your face and you'll pass out. They did have a third one. It was, uh, it was called Jebediah. <laughs> it was this big... This big farm guy would show up and punch you Real in the face. Hands. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> He's out, Doc. <laughs> he had the biggest hands in the whole town. So we got to cut this guy's leg off. Where's Jebediah? Yeah, <laughs> we don't of, have time. Chloroform. We don't have time for chloroform. Uh, now the chloroform on a cloth was. The known as the technique called open drop, um, I guess because it was open and you were just dropping the, the chloroform onto this cloth. Um, 
Ether was a combination of alcohol and sulfuric acid and was a common anesthetic during the war as well. At times, patients were not fully unconscious during the surgeries. When this happened, they often did not feel the pain, but were aware of what was happening. Uh, sometimes that's just as bad. Yeah. Well, and I've always had this fear of going in for surgery and being immobilized, but feeling everything that's going on. Ugh. Where you can't move, you, you can't, can't say them. anything. Yeah. yeah, you can't tell them because part of the anesthesia worked and you're immobilized, but you still feel most of the pain that yeah uh I, I have that's an unhealthy fear that i have i don't know man i've read enough of those stories right <laughs> I don't know how unhealthy it is all right so the last thing we're going to talk about is one of the most common procedures during the civil war that's amputations now new types of ammunition during the civil war like the mini ball which we've actually talked about in previous episodes we've talked about the mini ball being used in causing damage mm-hmm. um these mini balls created injuries with damage that had never been encountered during wars of the past the extent of destruction from this slug was massive as it would not only crush the bone on impact but also destroy the bone three inches around the impact yeah, so, much, not much you can do. No, at that point, you do have to remove. Um, because of this extreme damage, surgeons often felt removing a limb was the best way to quickly save a life. In addition, like we said before, gangrene also played a major role in the high number of amputations that took place. There was an estimated 50,000 amputations made over the course of the war, leaving many soldiers without arms, legs, or feet. Now, at the beginning of the war, many of the surgeons were unfamiliar and inexperienced with performing amputations. Well, the sheer number of amputations quickly changed that, and doctors were soon doing numerous surgeries daily. There were two surgical techniques that were employed when performing an amputation. Now, the most beneficial technique in terms of speed and convenience was the circular method. This method allowed the surgeon to cut right through the limb and could be done even in dim lighting. While this method left the amputated site open, the fish mouth flap method did not. This, this method <laughs> was where the surgeons made a flap of skin that resembled the mouth of a fish and used it to cover the amputation site. Yeah. Still, so, it's still how it works today. I was going to say, we still use that method today, but hopefully a little more sanitarily. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's much cleaner now. Yeah, we at least take the pus off of the blade before we do it now. Just <laughs> wipe it on your pants. Right. You let, me, let me touch this on my bootstrap real quick. Let me yeah. get that clean for you. And but and you had to saw through a bone. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you had to have a saw handy. And, mm-hmm. and sawing through bone is not an easy thing to do. And I I have done it. Um, yeah. And and it. You know, it really does take a power tool to sure. to get through it effectively and efficiently. Um, Unless you're it, from the 1800s, Matt. That's right. And, I mean, then you got a saw that it, it may take you 10 minutes to cut a limb off a tree with, and you're mm-hmm. going to turn around and use that to cut through bone, which is much Cut the limb harder. off a human. Yeah. It's much harder. And, right. uh Yeah, I mean, so... Yeah, the, the the treatment for the injury was often a thousand times worse than the injury itself. 
you know, in those terms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, those are, we wanted to go over all those things as gross as they were, just because it kind of sets the stage and explains the energy, the happenings around Gettysburg and the Battle of Gettysburg that could have caused enough emotion to lead into what Matt has for us now. Yeah. So, you know, we, we, we've always talked about that stone tape theory, that idea that the earth is going to hold on to some negativity and replay a lot of the events. And you see a lot of that in the hauntings that go on throughout Gettysburg. Now it's, it's not just limited to the areas of battle because as Adam mentioned, so many of these buildings regardless of what they are today or and really regardless of what they were then they were converted to makeshift hospitals to care for wounded soldiers right and and so the the ground itself was absorbing the the energy from these battles but you know all the pain and desperation and sorrow from these wounded soldiers and from the people that were uh, charged with taking care of them really stuck around in these buildings as well. And, Absolutely. And, and so many of these buildings are still standing today and are either, you know, museums or hotels or just, you know, historical tourist sites. Um, and there's a lot of activity. I mean, to say all of Gettysburg is haunted is not an understatement. You know, it, it, it really, really is now, you know, if there's, if there's an electronics express, you know, it in Gettysburg, it, it's probably not haunted. Well, I don't know. There may have been some <laughs> bleed over, you know, but these buildings that have, have stood the test of time and, and have been kept up and have, you know, been, been converted to, you know, whatever now that energy still lingers. And one of the most popular things to do in Gettysburg is to take a ghost tour. And, you know, you can go to just about any city and look up haunted tour. I want to take a ghost tour of this town. You know, I think about, you know, New Orleans, you know, Nashville, you know, Savannah, Dallas, all these places. You know, you go and, you know, you may find, you know, a few, you know go to Gettysburg and it, it's a whole it's a whole industry up there yeah. I mean you know you could you could start at eight o'clock in the morning and finish up your last tour at midnight you know or I later I, I think I talked about this one time but um, Ashley and I took a ghost tour in Chattanooga and uh, the lady that was giving the ghost tour actually listened to us and this was a year or so ago um, so hopefully she's still listening if you are hey um, but you know, there were, there were several cool places there, but there wasn't many. It wasn't like the whole town. It was like right. four stops or something that we went to, um, which was cool. But like Matt's saying, this is a whole town y'all. Yeah. It's an entire town. And, and so tour guides will explain that, you know, the, what you might be able to see when you go on these tours and, you know, orbs, um, smoky ectoplasm um maybe the occasional shadowy figure uh, will appear 
Um, one of the most popular tours is the the Ghost of Gettysburg uh, tour, um, and and on this particular tour, there's there's female members who have reported feeling their hair tucked behind their ear or maybe a light touch on their shoulder. Um, as you know, it's speculated that the majority of the spirits are going to be those of young men um, who who died fighting these battles. Mm-hmm. Now, right in town. There is a home turned art gallery that's dedicated to portraits of Abraham Lincoln. And visitors to this particular place have reported smelling pipe tobacco just outside. And it's supposedly from the spirit that haunts this home, which was the home of his niece. Now, this particular spirit is affectionately known as Uncle Joe. Um, the spirit of a Union soldier has been seen walking through walls and closed doors, as well as walking up and down the staircase. Now, so many of these places that we talk about on this show have a lady in white. How many times oh, yeah. have I told y'all a story that included the the lady in white? Lady well, in white. Oh, wait, that's not the song. Never mind. <laughs> That's pretty good, though. My bad. Sorry. <laughs> Gettysburg is no exception to this. So the the lady in white uh, is supposedly a young lady who lost her love in battle. And so she decided to fling herself off the clock tower in Glatfelter Hall. And she is said to to lure male students that are foolish enough to... Uh, to see her to the same end. <laughs> so I'm like, hey, you know, that's, that's a good looking lady. Go on that. It's a good looking lady over there. I like that white dress. I'm going to go talk to her. Next thing you know, funk. Hey, where, yeah. where did Tom go? Oh. Yeah. Well, I, I don't understand the, you know, I like the, the looks of this lady so much. I'm going to go jump off a tower. Yeah, boy, you got to be, you got to be fire. to convince a dude to jump out of a tower i mean yeah yeah you gotta be something else now this next one is pretty cool i I really i really dig this one and it's got a really great story so pennsylvania hall it is the oldest building on the campus of gettysburg college it not only has its own resident spirit But it's also got one of the best stories. So here's the story. One night in the late 1980s, two college administrators left together after working late. The elevator delivered them not to the first floor, but to the basement. There, the doors opened to a grisly Civil War era scene. Bleeding patients, harried orderlies, and a surgeon preparing to saw off a man's arm. Wow. Now, when the elevator finally brought the guys up to the lobby, they ran to the security guard for help. But when he went down to the basement, it was normal. It was exactly how it should be. Now, this story has has persisted, you know, over the last, you know, 40 years. 
Right. So I mean, it, it's a it's a very common story. If you take one of these tours that goes past Pennsylvania Hall, you're gonna hear it. So there there is also a chance that it's happened more than once. Hmm. Um, tour guides have said that they have been told that someone knew the names of the original men that this story happened to, but they were not the same names that the tour guide knew. And you know, that, that would kind of indicate that maybe it's happened to other people too. (laughs) Right. It could be a common occurrence with that area. Yeah. You know, but, but again, there's that idea that it's going to replay itself and, and you're, if you're there at the right time, then you could be witness to it. Now, as I said, uh, the hall also has its own resident spirit. It hosts a phantom soldier with a lantern and a rifle. He's known as the lookout, or, or sometimes he's called the lone sentinel, and his spirit has been seen standing atop the cupola or, or gun turret. So it, if, if you, if, actually, if you actually look at Gettysburg College, they use the you know, the cupola in, in their design of their, their, their logo or whatever. Mm-hmm. You can see it, you know, at the top of it, you know, a lot of colleges will do that. A real famous building on their, on their campus that that'll be kind of in the image. Um, but everybody knows what this is. You know, it's, it looks like a, it, it, it looks like a little gazebo that's stuck on top of the roof. But on top of that, there's a little area that looks like it's got a, a kind of a railing around it like there's an extra extra little post on top of that that is where the lone sentinel has been seen um so a a a really like i said a really cool story uh for a really old building um right there on campus of uh gettysburg college and a real creepy thing to see if you're by yourself and you see that yeah can you imagine and the lantern the lantern the fact that this thing that you would see would actually be illuminated, you know, mm-hmm. is even, it's something that you don't hear a whole lot of. Um, it's wild. Now, the next one of these places I'm going to talk about is, is the Jenny Wade, uh, Jenny or Jeannie Wade house. So Mary Virginia Wade, also known as Jenny, holds the ominous reputation for being the only civilian casualty in the Battle of Gettysburg. It happened when a stray bullet passed through two doors, striking her in the chest and passing through her heart, killing her on impact. Man. And it happened while, supposedly, while she was kneading bread for Union soldiers. Now, the the Jeannie Wade house is is a popular stop on these tours. Um, From what I could see, just about all of them go there. It, it's probably one of the most most common places to visit if you're if you're going to talk about not just Civil War history but haunted Civil War history. Um, but it is said that you can still hear her voice echoing through the house. Um, there was there was one uh, one story that. I will share, but I, I couldn't credit because I couldn't find the gentleman's name. Um, it was a video, and he's just telling the story that he was given a tour to some school-age kids 
And as they were coming out of the Jenny Wade house, they saw a young boy standing at the bottom of the steps as you went outside. And he just kind of looked up, caught their gaze, and disappeared. So not only did he see it, but all these school-age children saw it. Um, and probably screamed and ran. And it was enough that it, you know, it got to him because it was unexpected. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't something that he thought there's a chance that we might see this on the tour of the Jenny Wade house. Now, this next one, um, this is one of these where the the history of it is as bad as the haunted history. So the the National Soldiers orphanage homestead or the homestead orphanage it was founded in 1866 and headmistress headmistress rosa carmichael brutally abused the children starving them beating them even confining them for days in a pit in the basement as punishment and Uh. one description i read said that they uh they would they would tie or chain these these kids. They would tie their, their hands above their head and they would stand them in like a, a, a deep bucket of water, almost like a big tub, like a, a big wooden yes. bathtub to the point where their, their legs would, they would be there so long their legs would just give out. So they would essentially be near drowning before anybody ever got them out. That's just disgusting. Now, now, visiting the basement, you could see child-sized shackles still hanging from the walls of the basement. Yeah. Yeah. It gets it gets worse. Now, now stuffed animals, baseballs, rag dolls, and other toys are left by visitors for the ghost children to play with. Now, after a few weeks of the toys being there, the toys are sold in a gift shop. Oh. Now, you're asking for it if you buy one of these toys. No kidding. Somebody brought this toy as a gift to a ghost child, and then you bought it and took it home. What that, are you doing? Like we've said before, <laughs> that's some bad juju, man. You're just, you can't do that. Oh, you're inviting that to your house. Why? Why would you want uh, that? Uh, I can't. I, I read that. And I was like, oh, God. I yeah. don't I don't know. I, the article from this was probably about seven or eight years old. And I and I couldn't confirm that this was still something that happened. I know at one point. It was a museum, and the museum closed 2011-ish. Don't quote me on that. I'm, I'm, this is not in my notes. I'm, I'm winging it here. But I, so I don't know if that's something that still happens. I, th- I think you can still tour it on, you know, these paid tours. Um, I wouldn't go in the basement. I, I just, I wouldn't be, yeah. I wouldn't be able to see it. I wouldn't be able to stomach that. Well, whether it still happens or not the fact is it happened it happened and there are <laughs> there are people out there who have these toys now let's just imagine for a minute that your grandmother 
went there and she bought one of these toys and she's had it sitting in her curio cabinet for years. And then she gives it to you and you don't know the history of this toy that has a ghost child attached to it. You get it in your house and then all of a sudden you're haunted by some civil war ghost child. I mean, yeah, uh, uh-huh. that makes you question taking anything from your grandparents. I'm a, you know, I'm going to give Adam baseball the next time I see him. And he's going to look at me and go, you didn't get this from Gettysburg. Did you? <laughs> right, right. Where where did you acquire this baseball, Matt? <laughs> now, many people that have toured uh, the orphanage have reported hearing children cry, uh, having their pants or shirts tugged on, uh, hearing giggling and laughing. Um Others have claimed to see full-body apparitions of children in period clothing looking disheveled, and some have even seen the spirit of Rosa herself. Now, as bad as that story is, I mean, Rosa was arrested and punished. Um, She was convicted of abuse against children, um, but it didn't keep her away and, and... she did eventually pay her fine and go back. Jeez. And now she's mad. Yeah. You know, she was bad enough when she wasn't angry about it. Now she's mad. So. Right. So, yeah, that that was that was a horrible, horrible mm. situation. It was it was tough to read, too. Um, But let's let's go to let's let's go to uh, to a little bit, a little bit nicer place. The the Balladary Inn. And you're going to hear me talk about several hotels and ends uh in Gettysburg. Um any outs? And uh, no, unfortunately no. <laughs> <laughs> any outs. <laughs> Low hanging fruit there. Yes it was, I'm sorry. <laughs> but the owner Judy Caudle says that the ghosts of dead soldiers haunt the grounds of the Balladary Inn, especially around the gazebo. Now a the inn served as a union field hospital during the Civil War. I mean, that's a common thing. Uh, reports of phantom apparitions, uh, cries of wounded soldiers, ghostly Civil War music. I wonder what that would be. I don't know. I don't know what Civil War music would be. Hmm. I'm going to have to look that up yeah. after we record here. But even the sound of horse hooves in places where horses fell victim. So apparently horses can be ghosts too. Um, all of those things are very common. Now, Judy recalls the time that an FBI paranormal investigator visited the Balladary, and he asked her if she believed in ghosts. And Judy kind of shrugged it off and said, no, you know, not really. But the investigator then told her that there was a portly woman in an apron with her hair in a bun standing in the room with them. <laughs> I I didn't I, I just like the description portly. I don't know why, but that I, I, I like that description. But when you hear that description, you you have an image in your head. You know exactly. Yes. You know what what you're thinking of. You know this little chubby jolly woman with an apron on. That's what I always think of. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I knew that the FBI had paranormal investigators. No, I mean I, I certainly didn't. Um, I knew they, 
you know, they investigated some of the stuff that we've talked about, the weird phenomena and everything, oh, yeah. but I didn't know they had, you know, paranormal investigators. Yeah, that, that was kind of a that was kind of a neat thing to see. I was like, well, okay. Uh maybe that guy had a badge and it said FBI on it. And if Judy had looked a little oh, closer, yeah. it said like female body inspector or something. He got it on spring break in like eighty four, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. And I was gonna say he's a college boy. Uh, the next one. Oh, and, and and these these things have always been kind of spooky to me. Covered bridges. I mean, covered bridges at night are 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 creepy. You, oh yeah. You know. I mean, you know, just any. It don't matter. They don't got to be old. They don't even have to have a story to go along with it. But when I've seen old, you know, covered bridges and, and it's kind of dark, I'm like, ugh. I don't want to. Let's oh, let's yeah. go around. I don't want to. I don't want to drive right. through there, you know. But um, this particular one in Gettysburg is the Sachs Covered Bridge. Now it's Sachs S A C H S, so it's it's a name. It's not covered in Sachs. Um, you know, it's, can you imagine a bridge? It's just covered in like Walmart bags. You know, <laughs> yeah, and a bunch of burlap potato sacks all over it. <laughs> yeah, but the local legend for the Sachs Covered Bridge tells a story of three Confederate deserters who, after being caught by their superiors, were hanged from the covered bridge. Now, another version of this same story says that the three soldiers were Confederate spies. And when the Union Army figured out that they were spies, they hanged them as punishment. But whatever the real story is, um, the spirits supposedly haunt the bridge. Now, during the day, and you can find tons of pictures of this bridge, it's it's beautiful. I mean, it's very picturesque. It looks like something that your grandmama would have had hanging, you know, painted on the on the wall, you know, in the dining room. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's it looks like just like, hey, this is a, a beautiful covered bridge. Here it is. But at night, some believe that you can expect some pretty uh creepy activity. Now, visitors have reportedly smelled cigar smoke standing on the bridge, even though no one else is there. And some others report that they can hear cannons fire in the distance. And other people even say that they have been touched or tapped on the shoulder uh, while standing on the bridge or trying to walk across it. So, you know, make you think, I'm not going to walk across it because... I don't want none to get yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't touch me from the spirit world while I'm walking across a bridge. Yeah, no kidding. But you know, this was a bridge that a lot of troops would cross back and forth during during these three days of battle. So, um, but you know, I, I talked about these hotels. You know, with all these hotels being haunted, it, it almost seems like that Gettysburg is trying to live up to this reputation as being the most haunted town in America. The Gettysburg Hotel, it again served as a hospital during the war, just like about every other one. <laughs> right. But it still has some staff that are lingering around. Now, the spirit here is a spirit named Rachel, and Rachel was supposedly a nurse that cared for the wounded wounded soldiers while it was a hospital. And she has been seen roaming around the halls 
and not too politely, I might add, because it's not uncommon for Rachel to sift through guests' belongings, open drawers, and even dump out the contents. That's just rude. Yeah. And she's also been known to, to push the luggage carts all over the hotel, just wherever, and just leave them places. But there's also... Stay out of my stuff, you know? Yeah. Can you imagine? You come back in, and all your crap is pulled out of the drawer and thrown on the floor. You're like, man, this... Yeah, what if it's what if it's like one of the, the people, the staff there, and they're just blaming it on this ghost? <laughs> They were rummaging. You didn't have anything cool, and they were like, "Oh no, dead, dead." That was the ghost that did that. <laughs> They're the like the worst housekeeper ever. It, yeah, <laughs> must have been Rachel. <laughs> oh yeah, it, it was Rachel. It wasn't wasn't me. I mean, why would I do that? There's also a spirit of a wounded Union soldier that wanders around the hall, and some guests have even reported seeing a wounded soldier dancing with a young lady in the center of the ballroom. So, it, you know, at least they're having some fun. Now, the next hotel we're going to talk about is the Tilly Pierce House Inn. Now, Matilda Tilly Pierce was only 15 when she saw the Union Army march through town past her home. I'm sorry. I just, I have to say this. You you said that name and I thought, you got your Tilly Pierce? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh god carry on matt i'm sorry <laughs> this is what we do to one another <laughs> right i'm telling you and it's you i mean we're, we're at this level when we're recording you know imagine yeah. what it's like when we're just sitting around having a conversation i mean it's it's ridiculous it takes us forever every third word forever to is tell screwing with the other well, one what i'm just telling a story you know the the other one is messing with them everything they say <laughs> but, <laughs> but but tilly oh tilly like i said she was only 15 when all of this started so fearing for her safety her parents sent her and a few friends away to find a safe haven. Now, the friends found a farmhouse that they thought was going to be good, but that quickly filled up with wounded soldiers. So Tilly actually helped the surgeons and the nurses care for the wounded by getting them food and water. Now, she would eventually return home changed by what she had experienced, and she would eventually write a book called At Gettysburg or What a Girl Saw and Heard of the Battle. I can only imagine, yeah. man. Jeez. Now, her childhood home is now an inn that carries her name, and it, too, has some unusual residents. Now, many guests have reported seeing a soldier walk down the stairs, go into a room, and then come out and walk back up. And it's not unusual to feel someone sit down on the foot of your bed while you're sleeping or hear footsteps walking around on the, on the floors above you. Now, the blue room in the inn is considered one of the most haunted spots in all of Gettysburg. And it's here where the spirits of the soldiers that were under Tilly's care are found. Now, while in the blue room, guests and investigators say that you can hear the marching of troops. An apparition of soldiers apparently still on patrol are often witnessed moving through the room. Now, ghostly children have also been seen running and playing 
throughout the end, and there's even a noisy ghost cat to round it out. <laughs> now, with all this activity, however, no one ever reports any malevolent activity. In fact, the reports are that the spirits are helpful and friendly. So it, it's it happens so often that you're you're almost guaranteed to experience something when you're staying at this at the Tilly Pierce House Inn. Right. So the next one is is the Her Tavern. Now the Her Tavern was built in 1815, but during the battle it was used as guess what? Uh, a hospital. hospital. <laughs> but this one was the first Confederate hospital at Gettysburg. Now, the most common uh, procedure, can you guess? Amputation. Amputations. Ding, ding, ding. We have a winner. Um, And there were so many amputations that it usually resulted in limbs being thrown out the window uh, to be collected later. We ain't got room in here, so just open a window and throw this guy's leg out there. That's that. Where did we talk about that they were burying it under the floor? Oh yeah, I mean, where was that? That's just somebody's screaming at the speaker now, telling us where it was. It we, was we said yeah, we, that it was just just a few months ago. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but I remember. Yeah, they buried him under the floor, but they just threw him out the window. And but the thing is, is uh, many of the soldiers died anyway, right there. You know, in in the in the hospital. So. As a result of all this, four of the guest rooms are said to be haunted, and the rooms are numbered so that it, there is no number 13. I'm like, well, look, the the, whole, the cow is out of the barn at this point. I mean, yeah, you know, it doesn't matter at you, this point. You might as well, you might as well number them all 13. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. oh, it's over. You had this stuff going on. You know, you can do whatever, you know. You, 13A, you know, 13B, 13C. Yeah. It yeah, might matter. as well, you know, it, it, you're not, you're not going to do yourself any worse harm by doing that. Now, General Manager Tom McPherson recalls this story, and he says, Once while I was sitting at the bar, something ran into my bar stool, and I turned around, and there was no one within 30 feet of me. The other incident involved a bucket full of bar pours, which are the little uh, little spouts that they stick on the liquor bottles so that... Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so they had a bucket full of them, and McPherson says that this bucket weighed about 10 or 12 pounds. He says it literally started moving left to right, and and it rattled. He said it was like somebody was moving the bucket. He said there were two customers sitting at the bar watching it, and then they said, uh, they said, did you see that? (laughs) Did <laughs> McPherson says they looked at us and said, oh, we didn't see anything. <laughs> <laughs> now, Ignorance now, is bliss. That's right. Now, uh, now, room one of the Her Tavern apparently hosts the bulk of the activity. And during an episode of the Sci-Fi Channel show Haunted Collector, a camera outside of the room captures the doorknob shaking vigorously waking up the sleeping investigator, Chris, inside. Now, as Chris investigates, he hears bumps, crashes, and door slams that lead him on a goose chase through the remainder of the tavern. You know, and look, 
you know, you know my take on paranormal ghost hunting shows, but I did. I've watched this video, and if they faked it, then it's just it's just shame on them. Okay, I mean, if you yeah. faked something, it, this is this is not a. Uh, you know, an EVP with, did you hear that? He said, he's the devil and he's going to come cut out my tongue. What? Right. No, it's not. It's not making a mountain out of a molehill. This thing shakes and there's nobody out there. Now, yeah, I get it. You could fake this easy on video. But again, you know, if this was faked, shame on them. I mean, you, you would have had to just straight up go, okay, this is what we're going to do to make his doorknob shake. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but, you know, it, it looks pretty cool. And then, you know, you see Chris come out the door and he goes through the rest of that, you know, rest of the tavern and you can hear the noises, you know. So I'm like, well, it's pretty cool. But there are a lot of guests who have reported very similar things while staying at the tavern. Now, the the, the last place I'm going to talk about tonight uh, is the Devil's Den. Now, this is not a hotel. This is actually on the battleground. So, you know, as we've talked about all this episode, the amount of, of violence and death, um, that the civil war brought, it, it left a mark on the town of Gettysburg. And that mark is going to be the strongest in the battlefield. Now the devil's den is a boulder covered hill on the South end of, of Houck's Ridge at the Gettysburg battlefield. And it was once used by artillery and infantry or sharpshooters, snipers, as we would call them today on the second day of the 1863 battle of Gettysburg, some 1800 Confederate troops and 800 union troops reportedly died during the fighting at devil's den, which filled these stones with tons of negative energy now visitors to devil's den report a multitude of experience one young woman was climbing around the boulders with a friend when she felt a hand grab her ankle reaching up from a darkened fissure below was a young man in a civil war uniform she screamed for her friend but when she looked back down the man was gone now, can you imagine you're crawling over these boulders and a hand reaches out of a crack in one of them and grabs no. your leg? No. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, there wouldn't have been any scream. You wouldn't have heard me scream because I'd already be about 400 yards away. Now, you'd have heard me poop. I'd have pooped <laughs> all over that rock. Now, more than one visitor to Devil's Den has claimed to have met a mysterious figure known to some as the helpful hippie. Now, um, Mark Nesbitt, he tells his story. Now, he is, Mark Nesbitt is, uh, he's a historian. He's a former park ranger there. Um, and he owns the Ghosts of Gettysburg Tour Company. And he tells a story about a woman who came and told him and his other park rangers that she had gotten turned around during an early morning visit to the rocks when a man appeared behind her seemingly out of nowhere 
and pointed off in the distance saying, what you're looking for is over there. And then he vanished. Now, when they asked what the man looked like, she described a disheveled figure in a floppy hat with shoulder length hair, bare feet and ragged clothing. Now, Nesbitt said that um, this, they all kind of thought that this sounded like something they had heard of before. And the quote was, I can't believe she's describing exactly what a Texan looked like at the Battle of Gettysburg. And she wouldn't have known that as a tourist. Mm-hmm. You know, so so the, the, the Texans were kind of like... Um, they were kind of like the cowboys of uh, of the Civil War, right? And and a lot of them fought um, in the Battle of Gettysburg, and they did have a different appearance. Their uniform was different. They did wear that that classic large brimmed floppy hat, um, but that th- those kind of things are not something that the average tourist coming to the battlefield would necessarily know. Sure. You know, somebody that maybe was well versed in Civil War history would have an idea, um, but these Rangers knew it. And when she described this person, they knew exactly what she was talking about. And there was even one story where uh, a woman came across the the, the helpful hippie, and uh, she was wearing a University of Texas Longhorn sweatshirt. Hook 'em horns. And yeah, he made he made a comment, you know, about something about uh, being from Texas. Oh, nice. Other visitors to Devil's Den and the nearby battlefield site have complained that their camera and phone batteries inexplicably fail when they're in that area, only to start working again when they leave. And, you know, we, we hear that a lot, but there are not a lot of really good photographs of anything going on at Devil's Den because of this. Now, Nesbitt has a theory for why this happens. Um, And he says he himself has experienced it more than once. Nesbitt believes there is a famous photo. Now, he doesn't believe there's a famous photo. There there is a famous photo. (laughs) (laughs) But this is what he believes about this famous photo. This photo was taken at Devil's Den of a fallen Confederate soldier lying uh, lying beside his sharpshooter position. The well-known image was later discovered was staged. Historians found a numbered sequence of images featuring the same dead soldier in a different location. So some enterprising Civil War photographer saw a photo op and dragged this poor kid 40 yards to pose as a sharpshooter. Oh, geez. And so Nesbitt says, if there's a disgruntled spirit in the devil's den that has animosity towards photographers, it would certainly be this guy. No joke. (laughs) Now, now Nesbitt goes on to say that park rangers will not answer questions about ghosts, which Nesbitt says is fine with him. He says, leave the question and answer about ghosts to me. And again, he is the owner of the Ghost of Gettysburg uh, Tour Company. Sure, yeah. So, I mean, and and literally, we are we are scratching the surface. I purposefully picked out the ones that were 
you know, the the most interesting, at least to me, the ones that had some unique history about them. But there are so many more. I mean, so many more. I mean, we could just keep talking about this place being haunted and this place has a spirit and this place has, uh, you know, a, a lot of noises and, and the sound of footsteps and disembodied voices. You name it, Gettysburg's got it. Mm-hmm. And and it is, this is one of these, these situations where, you know, the history is so vital to understanding why you would consider Gettysburg the most haunted town in America. And, you know, not, not having been there, I can't say this a hundred percent, but, but I would say based on my research, it lives up to that reputation. Sure. Um, absolutely. You know, and, there's there's so there's so much going on and like i said we've had listeners that have visited there i'm sure we have listeners that live very close um it it is somewhere that i think you know adam and i could reasonably visit you know it's it's not that far away from from either Mm -hmm. one of us really um and and as i did the research it it moved quickly towards the top of my list of of haunted places that i would want to go right but for those of you who have been there, maybe you've had some experience there. Maybe you've uh, gotten a really a really cool photo that you can't quite explain, or there's something in the background. Maybe you've spent the night in one of these uh, these hotels or bed and breakfasts, uh, or, or you had a bumpy night where somebody sat on the edge of your bed, or you heard people walking around above you all night long, or um, or, or maybe you were uh, lucky enough to catch sight of. Uh, of the ghost of a soldier, you know, coming up and down the stairs. If you have, let us know. We'd love to hear it. Like I said, we did have one listener, what, about a year or so ago that made a trip up there and, and shared quite a few photos in the group. Um, but but we'd, we'd love to hear some of your stories if you've, if you've had some experience in Gettysburg. Um, the best place to do that is in our Facebook group. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean – we're we're growing every day we've got so many fantastic members and yeah while uh while everybody's been quarantined it's kind of gotten uh it, it's kind of become everybody's go-to place just to kind of find that escape from being stuck in the house um but that's okay um we're still seeing a lot of people wanting to share uh haunted stories wanting to ask questions and we've got a lot of helpful people there. And you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, so check us out. Um, we, we do ask, if you can, please go to iTunes and rate and review our show. Uh, we are not egomaniacs. We don't. Uh, we enjoy reading your, your nice comments. But what it does is it brings us higher up the charts, right. which makes us easier to find. And that just brings more people into the graveyard. Um, don't forget to check out our website, which is graveyardpodcast.com. And on our website, you can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. You can find out a little more about Adam and myself. You can listen to the show and you can become a patron. And thank you so much to the folks that have donated to the show. Yes, thank you. So until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. C
see you soon. Uh, yeah, yep. when when you said egg, I knew what was coming. <laughs> you know, have have really. What was that? That was my phone. Oh, my, my phone on vibrate, vibrating the mic stand. Nice. You know, but how many times am I going to hit this mic tonight? I did it tonight too, man. Uh the spirit of a union show. Um, I lost my train of thought. Oh, what I was what <laughs> I was going to say. I one well.